This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, college basketball fans. I am Travis Branham, a national basketball analyst here at 24-7 Sports. And today we are joined by North Carolina insider Sherelle McMillan. Rel, you are one of the best insiders across the country when it comes to your team. You know this North Carolina team inside and out. Um, I know me and you have our battles here and there, um, especially with one right now on the recruiting trail, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, Today we're getting into this North Carolina basketball team and this journey that they've made to the Final Four. From your own perspective, watching these guys uh, from the start to the season, all that they've been through, even dating back to last April Fool's Day when Roy Williams uh, decided to retire unexpectedly, um what in your own eyes like what has this journey been like for these guys it's definitely been one of the wildest calendar years I think uh, in Carolina basketball history as you said going back to last year when Roy Williams retired and I think the big thing for these players is a lot of people thought that it would just be Roy Williams 2.0 they thought that Hebrew Davis was gonna run the same sets uh he was gonna run the exact same offense do the exact same things and I think he made it clear pretty early that he wanted to mold the UNC program in his own image. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, everybody kind of wants to put their own imprint on it. He wants to keep the, the foundation, I think, of what Carolina basketball is there and then kind of renovate uh, for lack of a better uh, lack of a better phrase. So that's kind of what he's done. And the beginning of the year, you could see kind of the issues, um, you know, on the court and then behind the scenes of trying to do things a different way from what everybody was used to. And it just took a little bit of time for things to start clicking. Um, it took some some changes. It took some guys accepting new roles. Um, it took really buy-in, I think, was the main thing. Um, and then they got on a roll. It really, I think that stretch, they had a stretch in late January where they played four games in about seven days. And I think that was the beginning of, of the turn. Um, in the middle of February, that really was the catalyst, the final catalyst to put this team on the path towards where it is now. Yeah, like just from my own perspective, watching this team back in December and January and even into February, like if you told me then that this team was going to be a Final Four team, I would have told you you're out of your mind. What do you think has kind of changed um, during the course of that time to kind of – they've caught fire, frankly, um, and now are on this uh, incredible run. Like what, what was it during that time that kind of changed in your own eyes? I think they became interested in defense. Maybe interested is probably not, probably not the right phase, but um, <laughs> they started playing better defense. I think that was a huge catalyst. I think uh, R.J. Davis becoming kind of the lead guard, um, the primary ball handler, the primary distributor, was a big deal that freed up Caleb Love to, to kind of do what he be- does best, which is take and hit tough shots. Um, and then Bernick being inserted into the starting lineup once Dawson Garcia left um, was huge because – his passing, um, his high basketball IQ, and his shooting have been the perfect complement to Armando Bacot. So 
really once those guys, the, the starting five started playing together pretty much 35 to 36 minutes a game, it was almost forced chemistry because they didn't have a, a ton of viable alternatives. But once that started, you could see the growth and it wasn't linear. It, it didn't, you know, just didn't go in a straight line. There were ups and downs, but you could start see them, you know, playing better really as early as the Virginia game um, back in, I think it was early January. You could see the signs of, of a good team. It just took some time for it to, to fully round it out. I want to talk a lot about the evolution of the team that you're just hitting on. Um, speaking on Brady Manick, too, that you mentioned him, uh, he transferred in from Oklahoma last season. Um, and I actually was going through my uh, transfer rankings midseason report, and he was one that I just couldn't help but put on there. And I think I had him, like, top 15. And frankly, looking back, I think I'm too low on that at this point. But uh, from an insider's perspective, like, has he been a surprise to you? Did you guys expect him to be this valuable when he came in? I think they knew they had something special just because of his shooting ability. I think what surprised people was um, how well he fit into the culture as a kid who really hadn't left Oklahoma his entire life for any, you know, sustained amount of time to come to Chapel Hill um, just last May and just immediately buy into what Hubert Davis was his vision of the North Carolina program. So I think that surprised him. I think his passing ability um, maybe didn't show up on tape as much as people thought. Um, he's, he's an exquisite passer, uh, and especially in the half court. I think a lot of the things that he does, um, they just, they're something that you get from a, a player playing his fifth year. He knows the spots to be in. He kind of knows how to work his own. He knows when to cut. He knows when to pop. And uh, again, with Armando Baycott, the way North Carolina is playing now, there's so many pick and rolls and they're using that middle pick and roll ton. And it, it Manic's place in it is perfect because when Armando Baycott uh, rolls to the basket, he receives the ball kind of in the, in the middle of the court. He has a split second decision. He can look out to Manic over in the baseline. He can kick it out on the wings to either RJ Davis or Caleb Love, who have improved their shooting tremendously this year. Um, or he can kick, out to, kick it out to Leaky Black. And what Manic has done in those scenarios, he either pops out and he's tremendous in that corner three, or he cuts to the basket and, and Black usually finds him about once a game, uh, just cutting for a, a layup around the basket. Um, so he really has just given Armando Baycott more space because guys mm -hmm. have to honor him out into the corner. And it, it's just helped them as a team tremendously. Yeah, he, from, again, my perspective, it seems like, especially after Dawson went out, like he... Armando has been Armando all season long. I think he's now tied for first or leading the country in double-doubles as he's entering the Final Four. I think he has a chance to even tie the record. I'll have to double-check on that. But Brady, since that Dawson-Garcia departure, it's like he's, aside from Armando, he's become like the most reliable piece on this team, consistent day in and day out, especially shooting the basketball. That's been incredibly valuable uh, for this basketball team. Uh, but funny enough, as you were telling me, there's a story behind him ending up at North Carolina. <laughs> and it honestly, it didn't seem like it was going to happen at one point. Uh, but how did that all unfold? Yeah, so Hubert Davis takes the job. I think it was April 4th or something like that. And he immediately starts, you know, contacting guys in the portal, contacting players who were at Carolina uh, and went into the portal, Walker Kessler. And just trying to upgrade the roster to fit his own image. And the biggest part of that was he wanted to stretch four. As people know, Carolina's kind of played two traditional bigs for, for forever, essentially. And uh, he wanted to switch to a more four, uh, one in four out system 
and Manic was kind of, you know, the perfect four. So he identified really three guys, I think, uh, Justin McCoy from Virginia, who ended up committing to UNC within four days of Davis taking the job, Christian Bishop, who was transferring from Creighton, and then Brady Manic, who was transferring from Oklahoma. So the way it kind of worked out, UNC made it clear that because McCoy had already committed, they really had one spot for a, another four-man. And um, Christian Bishop, you know, had talked to Hubert Davis, had good conversations, Brady Manic, the same thing. But I think it was, so uh, Christian Bishop ended up committing on a Saturday and he announced that he was going to commit on, I think that was a Thursday evening. And North Carolina, again, made it clear they only had one spot. And the intel or the information we were getting was that it was Kansas, Texas, and UNC. And that he wasn't too keen on, you know, going to Kansas because he's from there. He's from around that area. And that North Carolina kind of had a leg up. But I think his uh, decision to announce when he was going to announce his decision uh, gave UNT some ammunition to say, hey, Brady, we like you, but we think we're going to get this kid on Saturday. So here's your chance. And Brady Manning committed that Friday, a day before Bishop was set to commit. Straight stole the spot from him. That's funny, man. But obviously it worked out. Uh, very much into to this North Carolina team's favor. Um, I guess if you want to call it his front court teammate, obviously Brady plays a lot on the perimeter, but uh, Armando Baycott shifting to him. Again, I was just telling you, he, I think he's tied again for first in the NCAA and double doubles, mm-hmm. just been an absolute machine down low. Uh, and as you were saying earlier on Hubert Davis, he, he kind of is trying to put his own flavor to things. But at the same time, there's things that have stayed the same. Armando Baycott, and having a dominant post player, especially on the glass, has stayed the same for Hubert Davis, just like it was the case for Roy Williams. Where would this team be without Armando Baycott? Oh, it's not an NCAA tournament team. I mean, I mean, they struggled for some time to get to the NCAA tournament even with him. But, you know, I think they're sub 500 without him. He's been by far the most valuable player just because what he does allows everybody else to do what they do. Um, there are no manic really threes. There, there's no manic cutting. There's not Caleb Love with the ability to go one-on-one if there's not the threat of Armando Baycott on the post. And um, he's had moments over the last couple of years where he's really shined bright. The biggest issue for him was consistency. He, you know, either got hurt, turned an ankle, or just wasn't able to do it, you know, pretty much every single night. Um, his freshman year, he had a game against Oregon. Um, in November. And I mean, he was, he looked like a, a top 10 pick. He had like 25 points, 15 rebounds, six blocks. And you're thinking, okay, this kid is going to be a monster. He's going to be there for one or two years and then be out. And he got hurt. And so then in come Walker Kessler and Dayron Sharp to go along with Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott. And I think um, last year he was very, he was pretty consistent, but there would be every five or six games, there'd be a 4.6 rebound type game and a part of that was there were so many other centers who were really good on the roster and a part of it was he still needed to grow I think this year he has combined all that to the the talent the the shape the new system all that has worked towards his benefit he is the centerpiece of everything they want to do and that's why I think he's had such a productive year um, just because it, it's growth over you know one two three years from uh, a senior year in high school Again, you look at him now, you look at his senior year in high school, and he's just done so much to transform himself into, you know, what he is now, which is an All-American. Absolutely. I mean, that was when uh, I actually first started watching him. I believe it was probably his junior year of high school. Um, then 
uh, he ended up at IMG for a senior year. Was he there for more than one year at IMG? Just, I can't remember. Just the one, just the one year. Yeah. So yeah. upon getting there, like you, like you're saying, he completely transformed his body and you yeah. have to give him an immense amount of credit for the amount of work he put into doing that. And not only doing it for just one year, but to sustain it, we see it all the time where kids get in shape for a small spurt of time and then they continue to fizzle out, but he maintained this. And honestly, that's, played a huge huge part um in in his production at the college level so just immense credit to him and the hard work that he's put in mtv's official challenge podcast is back for another season and so are we i'm tori deal and i'm anisa ferreira the wait is over guys all stars four is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Now, shifting to the backcourt, I want to jump in with Caleb Love. Me, I think you know this very well. I loved Caleb Love coming out of high school. Um, and obviously, he did not have the freshman year that we expected. But what, in your own mind, is it that kind of played a big part in this jump that he's made from that freshman season that was uh, very underwhelming in a lot of ways. It was ugly at times. Um, and honestly, I don't know many people know this. There was a point in time where he almost uh, could have entered the transfer portal, but he obviously decided to come back. Um, so what what was that jump? Um, what contributed to that jump for Caleb Love? Uh, I want to jump on your point, though, about last yeah. year and the transfer portal. You talk about this team's journey. This team almost didn't look like this at all because mm-hmm. – um, it wasn't just rumors that people were talking last year. Obviously, Walker Kessler. So North Carolina loses to Wisconsin on a Friday. Walker Kessler announces his intent to transfer that Monday. And there were several others that we thought were coming, that we were prepared to write stories for, that we, that we thought you know would, would be there. And then the situation shifted and things settled down. And eventually, guys started announcing that they were coming back. Um, so just that one week alone could have changed a, a lot of what you see now um, as Carolina heads to the final four. But I, I think with Caleb, um, it, it was just so surprising that he shot so poorly as a freshman. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that it, at, at North Carolina um, in the past, uh, freshman shooters just, they just don't have it. And I don't know if it's college basketball, if it's the this previous system, but there's just not many freshman shooters who, who, have successful years and Caleb not only was it not successful it was close to historically bad um and uh I think really what it was was just tuning that up he did a lot of work over the summer um just on his 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 mechanics um his shooting ability just you know putting up tons of shots I think Hubert Davis said he had uh all his players I think it was a thousand threes a week that they had to make over the summer um which just is a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and so uh, he did that. 
Um, he had to cut down on the turnovers. And then I think the system change was really beneficial for him as well, because as you know, he is an athletic attack first type guard. And in the previous way North Carolina played, it's no fault of anyone's, there just wasn't that kind of spacing on the floor for guards to get into the paint, for guards to kind of do their thing. They didn't quite have the freedom that they have now. Um, so between his improved three-point shooting, the confidence that he received from Hero Davis, I think you are now seeing him put some of the stuff together. There are still areas that he can really improve on, but the knockdown shooting, I mean, he hits he takes and hits tough shots. And I think that's the, the most important, biggest thing you can say about Caleb Love because you can say a lot of things, but um, he has almost a rational confidence that he's going to make whatever shot he takes. And that's been big for North Carolina because uh, I think before the season, it was kind of like, well, shot clock's running down, game's on the line, who gets the ball? I think right now he's, he's proven that he's kind of the guy to do that for UNC. Yeah, when he first came in, we talked a lot about where does he kind of rank up alongside the the really good cards that they had previously, like a Cole Anthony, like a Kobe White. If Caleb, and, it, and, it look, and it's looking like he could be a first-round draft pick now, especially with the way he's played the past couple months, um, obviously it, didn't t- it took a little longer than we thought. But if he does end up in that NBA draft, and this is uh, going to be the last – potentially two games that he plays at North Carolina. What will you guys remember him for? Yeah, I think he'll be hitting those big shots, um, and the, hitting those big shots and the growth that he has. I mean, he's come so far from where he was at the first game of the 2020-2021 season to now. Um, completely different player as far as turn. I mean, he was a walking turnover last year, and um, it, it, was, it was a struggle. I mean, him and R.J. Davis – struggled a lot last year just holding on to the ball you know the the most basic thing and so to see them come around from that to now being kind of fully formed and confident taking big shots the way he took over in that UCLA game he's done that five or six times a season where it doesn't matter what he did in the first half all that mattered was those last few seconds the Syracuse game at UNC um, towards the end of the season uh, that second half he you know he struggled he I think he was maybe two of 10 two of 12 something like that and the kid just comes in and hits two threes, uh, just huge shots from 25, 26 feet. And it, it's like he forgot that he missed all those shots in the first half. So I think that's huge. I think people will remember him from that. Just big time shots in, in big situations and then the growth he's had over the course of two years. You, you just touched on his backcourt teammate, uh, his partner, RJ Davis. Similarly, it's he's had some rocky times, uh, but he slowly and surely been figuring it out since being at North Carolina. Uh, he was one player that I remembered in high school. Um, he was always aggressive. And similar to Caleb, he had a lot of confidence that he played with. Foot was always down on the gas pedal. And it, he had this uh, mindset that any shot that he took, it was going to go in. So with that mentality um, and his steady progression um, as a point guard for this team, uh, how important has he been uh, for this North Carolina basketball team? Uh, he's He's been massive uh, because, as we talked about, um, freshman guards at North Carolina, it's a struggle. And both of them struggled. And, and I don't think they were really sure who would be the primary ball handler this year. They talk about playing multiple point guards and all that. But eventually someone has to kind of be the guy at the, at the lead guard spot. And his ability in pick and roll 
um, to just, you know, tweak things, to change things, um, to split defenders, to, to have pocket passes, cross-court passes. He has a lot of stuff in his arsenal um, that has helped North Carolina's offense start to hum. And uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing, uh, just his ability in pick and roll um, it has been tremendous. It, it's, I don't want to say, I don't want to be, uh, give too many compliments, but it's, it's really, really good right now. And the thing about RJ Davis when it comes to UNC is that uh, because of his height and because of his size, his pro aspirations are, are limited, um, you know, compared to Caleb Love. And so you can start to see his trajectory as a college point guard. And it's kind of like, if he's doing this as a sophomore, can you imagine, you know, what he'll look like in a couple of years? Um, a lot of Carolina fans liken him to Marcus Page, who was an All-American at UNC from 2012 to 2016. Um, and I could see that kind of career trajectory going for him just because he's figured out a lot of things very quickly. Um, and then again, this, the system change was, was beneficial for him too. Yeah. And then now shifting to Leaky Black, who has been a staple for North Carolina for some time. Uh, he's been there now for four years. If you look at the stat sheet, he's not going to impress anybody, especially your average fan. Like, why is this guy who's averaging just four points and four rebounds starting uh, for this basketball team who's in the final four? But he brings a lot of intangibles. What is it that makes him so valuable? If you look on, uh, for those who follow Ken Palm, and you look under Leaky Black, he is in the nearly invisible usage rate category um, on, on offense. I always find that funny, uh, but Leaky, I mean, he, you said it, he's been a part of the Carolina program for almost six years now. He committed uh, December of his sophomore season, December of his junior season. So he's been around for a long, long, long time. He was in the class with Kobe White and Nasir Little, if that informs about how long he's been there. Um, and he was brought in originally to be a point guard, uh, a six, seven, six, eight point guard. And because they had Kobe White and because they got Cole Anthony and because they got Caleb Love, um, he never became that full time. And so he switched off to the wing. And the kind of the idea they had for him was kind of a, you know, a jack of all trades guy who could hit the occasional, you know, pull up three, who would be a defensive stopper, who could get you five or six rebounds, five assists, you know, a block here, a steal there, that kind of player. And for the first three years, he, again, just couldn't do it consistently. I think there were some confidence issues. I think um, maybe at times he didn't quite understand his role, what he was being asked to do or what he wasn't being asked to do. But this year, it, it all has started to click. And sometimes in, in scouting and in basketball, it's not a year, it's not two years, sometimes it's not three years. Sometimes it's that fourth year. Um, even for a player like Cam Johnson, who played for UNC back in the day, it was his fifth year when he really became NBA prospect Cam Johnson. So that's kind of where Leakey has been. And he's been tremendous on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, his energy defensively, what he does, I think permeates the entire team. We talked earlier about how uh, the switch for them really is when they started to defend. I think Leakey was the catalyst for that. I mean, he's guarded everyone this year from Hami Hakwes to Johnny Juzang to Paolo Bancaro to uh, Jeremy Roach to uh, uh, anybody from Kentucky to Kennedy Chandler. I mean, he's guarded all types of different players and mostly been very successful, uh, especially these last two months. I mean, he's done a great job, usually on the opposing team's best wing, but because of his size at six, seven, six, eight, sometimes they let him guard a four. And because of his size at six, seven, six, eight, like against Virginia, they put him on Kihei Clark, who's, you know, five, nine, five, ten. Uh, so he can do it all defensively. And I think that's been 
the biggest thing for him for UNC uh, this season is just a kind of eraser is what they're, they're starting to call him because he has uh, had some guys put up some some poor shooting numbers against them, and it's not just been one or two or three. We're talking seven, eight, nine, ten games in a row now. Yeah, um, he has been that stopper. He's going to have his hands full uh, this weekend when they face off with Duke. We we hear it all the time. They got a variety of weapons. They have five guys, four or five guys that could all get drafted in the first round. So his his role this weekend come Saturday, it's going to be as big as anybody, whether he's taking on. Paulo Bancaro or an A.J. Griffin or a Wendell Moore, whoever it is that could be getting hot for that Duke team. Um, he, he's that one guy that they can call a bond. Uh, for Hubert Davis, uh, making it to the Final Four in his first season as a head coach, what kind of stage does that set for him as he kind of continues to, to take these next steps uh, with this North Carolina program and the projection of his ultimate career? Well, I think that's a question I should be asking you because uh, really the recruiting trail was um, an area I think he did pretty well in last year, considering he didn't have much time to, to put together a class. Um, ended up with Seth Trimble, Jalen Washington, Tyler Nickel, and then Will Shaver, who enrolled at UNC this past January. That was his first class, in addition to Brady Manick, Dawson Garcia, and Justin McCoy. So he signed seven guys within, I guess, his first four months on the job. And one of those guys is playing out of his mind in Brady Manick. Uh, so he, he he's shown that he can work the portal. He's shown that he can recruit at a decent level. I think the thing he had to show was that he could coach. And now, um, after the way UNC played at the beginning of the season and the way they're playing now, I don't know how you can say, well, he can't coach or he can't push the right buttons um, because he's gotten the team to play at its best when it's most uh, important. So I think... He has the ammunition now between saying, look, you know, they, they've won 27, 28 games. They made a Final Four. He's been a decent recruiter. I think he has all the tools now to go out and try to recruit and get UNC back in the game with some of those top five, top ten, you know, one-and-done type players who traditionally have gone to UNC that maybe they haven't quite gotten as much in the last five or six years. 